Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, what a night of Euros action. That was England off the mark and the Netherlands and Ukraine. What a contest that was. And Austria with their first win of the tournament as well. We have much to tuck into. So let's get right into it. Fellow who did a lot in that stage, and here he goes again. Legion only Calvin Phillips. Sterling! England breakthrough! Yeah, cracking night of action at the Euros overnight, and uh, I've got uh, plenty to get stuck into today. John, welcome back to Aloisi. First of all, what time What time is it for you right now? It's it's about 8.40 a.m. as we record, but for you, where are you at? Yeah, I'm not sure where I'm at. I had about two hours sleep last night. That was about from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., and, and then I wanted to get ready because I couldn't wait for the England game. And um, so I came in here, watched the England game, and then virtually was on air for the second game, third game. Now the podcast, the brekkie rap. And um, so I don't know whether I'm the, here, there, or, or anywhere. This is going to go, this could go anywhere. It, it definitely will go everywhere. It was a cracking night. What was your highlight? Oh, the highlight was definitely like England winning. Because they they struggled in uh, the Euros to to win their first game, so I don't think they had ever won before this one. So that that, that was a highlight, but it was the cracking match that was the, the Netherlands against the the Ukraine. I thought that uh, the Netherlands were very good, especially going forward. They created a lot of chances, um, the tempo, the intensity of that game, and the Ukraine on the counter attack was so dangerous, mm. especially in that first half. But tune uh, up. Got back to 2-2 and then uh, Dumfries scored the winner right at the end and uh, a relief for De Boer for sure. So much. We will talk about all of that. What a night it was. Now, I've saved us a little bit of time this morning, John, because um, every morning when we walk off set and we, we have much to enjoy, we both get uh, we both walk past the, the office of our digital journalist, Jake Rosengarten, and about an hour later, we're still talking football. So I've decided to record it today and uh, welcome Jake, who our listeners might be familiar reading his thousands of words on the Optusport app. Welcome, Jake. It's great to hear your thoughts today. How are you enjoying the Euros? Firstly, thanks for having me, boys. Oh, the Euros are uh, they're going off, aren't they, fellas? But it is nice to be able to add a bit of a voice to the, the thousands and thousands and thousands of words <laughs> that I throw at Optusport uh, audiences day in, day out. And get you off your chair, which is excellent to see. Oh, the legs are very much moving today, Dave. We're on. <laughs> very good. Now, we'll start with the start of the night tonight, John, um, England and Croatia, and the truth was, even though it didn't reach any spectacular heights, Raheem Sterling's winner was the perfect start for Gareth Southgate. It was, and uh, look, there was a lot of people questioning Gareth Southgate starting 11. First of all, Trippier playing at left back, you know, normally he's a right fullback, he's got Chilwell uh, in the squad, he's got Luke Shaw in the squad, why did he go that way? I'm not sure why he did it, but, um, you know, it could be many reasons. It was very hot over there. We got that from Mark Swartz, so they spoke about it a lot before the game, how hot it was, and it was, you know, um, hotter than normal for England and, and London. So maybe Trippier can handle the heat better, maybe can handle the conditions better, maybe he's fitter than the others. Um, he definitely didn't get found out. He definitely played quite well. And the other one was Sterling, because everyone was saying Sterling had such a bad season, he shouldn't start, but he did, and he scored, and he caused the Croatians problems mm. all night. 
Johnny, what I can tell you is Gareth Southgate actually addressed Trippier starting okay. after the game. And basically he explained that he wanted uh, the talking that Trippier gives as much as basically playing alongside Tyron Mings, who's quite inexperienced at international level, that he thought uh, Trippier, who's played I think 26 or 27 international games now, brought more experience than the likes of Chilwell Shaw. That's interesting because, you know, I, I would have thought still that uh, Chua and Shaw have played at a high level anyway, you know, at Man United, Chelsea, Champions League. For Look, it could have backfired because if they didn't win, then everyone would have gone straight away at his starting eleven. It didn't. It showed guts from Gareth Southgate, so give credit to him there. And uh, and Mings did well. You know, that, that was another one that everyone was going, mm. you know, is he good enough? Is he good enough to play international football? I thought he showed that he, he can be, and he was he showed his pace definitely today, and he was comfortable on the ball and build-up as well. It, it was very interesting because I know that English media is a, can get hysterical and, and, they, and they dissect every millimetre of what's going on but it is a good gate for the kind of pressure that the team is under and the Gareth Southgate is under and Mings was a big one there was even speculation that you know Ben White would come from outside the squad into the 11 so Gareth Southgate stuck to his guns not only in Mings uh, with Trippier with um, Sterling because that could have been a Pep Guardiola type hysteria because of that type of loyalty and even Calvin Phillips who we'll talk about in a moment but before we kick on uh, we've been uh, lucky enough throughout the Euros to be joined on the Gagging Pod Daily by some uh, correspondents from The Athletic in the UK uh, that fine um, fine website that produces pretty much the best journalism in the planet outside of off the sport so um, we're delighted now to I caught up a little bit earlier today with Dom Fifield, who covers England for The Athletic and these were his thoughts on the performance. Well, we witnessed a bit of history at Wembley this afternoon with England finally winning a, their opening game of a European Championships um, for the first time ever. Uh, and a thoroughly merited victory as well, to be honest. Um, in difficult conditions, um, we, we don't do heat particularly well over here. Um, and the, the idea that you can keep up a maintain a, a frantic press through 90 minutes uh, in in that heat is simply unfeasible, really. So England started well, kept that uh, imposed themselves on the on the on the game in that opening 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then there were periods where where they sat sat back and and almost recharged their batteries. And I'm, but that really, from the moment they they scored the goal just before the hour mark, it it really didn't feel as if there was much threat to their authority and that the, that the game was going to be, they were going to carry the, the, the occasion and, and, and secure that elusive victory. Um, I suppose in there, there is, a, there is some disappointment at the, the level of threat offered up by Croatia uh, and actually probably served as an illustration of just how much they're likely to, to miss Mario Mandzukic in this, in this tournament. I mean, he's such a focal point to their front line and does set them apart quite often. So, um, but England, England beat was put out in front of them. They, they dominated in midfield in particular, disrupted Croatia in there. Modric had his moments, but really, uh, the, the three Croatian players in that midfield never really stamped their authority on the game. And it was England who, who held, who carried the the sway in that in that area of the pitch, uh, largely thanks to the supremely impressive Calvin Phillips, but with Declan Rice at his back and Mason Mount, so energetic, so dynamic at their side. So, all in all, a thoroughly encouraging performance from England. 
Yeah, and the beauty is, Jake, um, with that type of performance, is Croatia was a potential banana skin. A bit like we'll talk about with De Boer later, Southgate now can actually, he can quieten some of those headlines and questions because uh, they're off to the three-point start, perfect start with room to improve. Well, yeah, absolutely. The, the best start England have ever had at the Euros, essentially. They've never won an opening game at the Euros before today. So, yeah, the, the momentum is there. And, I mean, that mania and that sort of angst that, that develops in the English press can sort of be uh, silenced for now, at least, definitely moving forward. It was interesting, John, because uh, England started brilliantly um, and then Croatia sort of wrestled a little bit of ascendancy back then. But they never really challenged themselves, even when it looked like they had a little bit of control. Yeah, I thought that um, yeah they did start to you know get a little bit of control in that first half, probably the last 10-15 minutes of the first half. I thought England started like really brightly. That was probably the best start so far from any team uh, until the the, the Netherlands game. Hmm. But uh, I, I thought that you know they were unlucky not to go one 0 up very early. They started on the front foot, but the, again the heat factor would have played a part. They couldn't play that intensity the whole time, but then they showed a different side. You know that they were able to defend. Uh, Croatia when they did have the ball because Croatia didn't create anything mm. really um, so that you know they showed that side they showed that they can defend well as a unit and then uh, in, in the second half they still created some clear cut chances the only probably thing I would say even though Sterling was brilliant and he, he, he played he was probably along with Calvin Phillips the best player he still missed a few mm. clear cut chances that he could have done better with and when you're playing against the, the nations like France, Portugal, you know, the, the Germany, that, that, that they believe they're going to win it, you have to take those chances. You can't afford not to. Confidence? Confidence can grow from that kind of game too because we know that he wasn't coming into the game confident. Yeah, now confidence will definitely grow. And, and the biggest thing as well that, uh, you know, we raved on about Italy. I don't know how much better Italy can get because I don't think that there's that much more room for improvement. England can get a lot better. And they, and they still won that comfortably. So, you know, it's good signs for Southgate. You know, a lot of the teams that end up winning these tournaments don't start really well. Mm. They just do enough to win football games, get through the, the, to the round of 16, and he can still actually change a lot of his starting 11. You know, he can, do, he can still, like, once Maguire comes back in, then he might put Shaw because they play together. So he can still chop and change and, and freshen things up quite a bit because they've got a deep squad. Absolutely, Johnny. Um, you talk about Raheem Sterling and sort of his selection in the side and what he brings, missing chances, but also what he does bring. I want to throw a few stats at you now. Um, so basically, Raheem Sterling, there's a big conversation about whether he should have even been in the squad, let alone the 11. Um, Raheem Sterling has now scored, uh, had a hand in 19 goals in his last 17 games for England. He has, every time Raheem Sterling has scored for England, they have won. And no player has uh, has ever had a better 100% record than him. He's done it 11 times. They've won 11 times. And no England player has ever played more games at Wembley without losing than Raheem Sterling. So why is there still a conversation about Raheem Sterling's place within this England team? So you're saying that Raheem Sterling has to score every game and England win the Euro? <laughs> I think it would help. It would definitely help. It's coming home. Didn't they start singing that already? Yeah. Oh, look, I think there's a lot of questions because that's what the English press do. That's what media do. That you know, He didn't have a good uh, season at Man City. Um, he wasn't in great goal-scoring form. He uh, The Champions League final, he didn't play well. Look, I... 
it's unfair, of course. And Southgate, he's always played Raheem Sterling. He's, he's probably one of the first ones on yeah. the starting sheet, along with Harry Kane. And the reason why he plays him and the reason why he likes him is because Harry Kane does drag defenders across and, and out of position and, you know, when he drops back in deep. And Raheem Sterling's smart enough and his runs are good enough to exploit that space. That's how the goal came. Exactly. And that's how the goal came. And, in fact, when we're talking about the Foden, Mount, Grealish combination and that Rashford had started to maybe, you know, you couldn't include Rashford and Sterling. We even discussed, I think, in the preview that whether it's Foden, whether it's Grealish, Gareth Southgate will still pick someone who can go in behind. With he his has pace. to. He has to because that's that's a way of uh, penetrating. And, then that's, and that's how you actually create clear-cut chances and get your one-on-one positions. Or else your chances will be from outside the box, will be crosses. But this is a clear-cut chance that he got. You know, the one that he had early on in the game was a clear-cut chance when he tried to cut back in onto his right mm. foot. But then the goal, he, he was clear on goal. And, and that's because Kane shifted their defenders and uh, Calvin Phillips was good enough to play a top ball through. Well, speaking of Calvin Phillips, one of I wouldn't say it was a selection gamble, but it was one of the things we didn't know which way uh, Southgate would go. Wow, he was immense. One of the great performances, particularly for someone inexperienced at this level. And Bielsa ball into the England lineup. In that heat, he ran 10.3 kilometres more than anyone else on the park. No surprise he added that tempo and dynamism to their play. This is what Dominic Feifold had to say about a performance that everyone is talking about in England. Calvin Phillips' inclusion in midfield as a progressive number eight, really, not as a sitter that he does for for Leeds United on a, on a weekly basis in the Premier League, but actually with licence to, to roam forward off Declan Rice. And he was outstanding, absolutely outstanding, almost revelatory, really. It was he set the tone. It was his aggression. It was his his drive, his strong arm. Really, some of the challenges he was making, and then and then in the second half when Croatia were chasing the game and trying to Im- impose themselves on the contest, it was often Phillips who was making the niggly fouls that were disrupting their rhythm and stopping them from building up ahead of steam. And and that's that's equally key. He didn't get booked, so he, he managed to to get away with it. And in that respect, I thought he I thought he did really, really well. And obviously, the drive driving force for the for the goal as well, with a with a lovely little slip pass through to to Raheem Sterling on the charge. Uh, Calvin Phillips was a proper revelation for England out there today. So essentially, Jake Gareth Southgate got his selections today. Right, you're a genius if you get them right. If you win, well, if you lose, it backfires. But today, he has won the press over. Absolutely, and I mean, I think he'll uh, want to ride that way for a while. But the interesting thing, though, Johnny, that I found about the 11 this morning and this squad is that it's not a squad that finds its spine in necessarily the biggest clubs in England. You look at the starting 11 today, obviously we've got Harry Maguire and Jordan Henderson out injured, but not a single Manchester United or Liverpool player. You look at the spine, Jordan Pickford, Everton, Tyrone Mings, Aston Villa, John Stones, City. Um, and then you've got the, uh, the midfield pivot base of Declan Rice, West Ham. And you've got Calvin Phillips from Leeds. You've got Mason Mount, Chelsea, and Tottenham, Harry Kane. So I was talking to uh, our esteemed colleague, Michael Bridges, in the uh, lead-up to this game. And he was talking about, basically, that in the past, England have had sort of a divided changing room in terms of divided along the Manchester United-Liverpool rivalry line. Is not having as many players from those teams, and obviously there's the Fergie influence of the past and things like that, is that something that's going to help Gareth Southgate and this England team navigate this tournament and 
sort of try and break this hoodoo finally. If you look at the, uh, most of the national teams now, they'll probably take away by Munich that probably have a few more, you know, by, uh, you know, plays in that uh, German national team. You look at Spain. Spain haven't got one Real Madrid mm. player. Very rare. They've, they've got a few uh, Barcelona players, but not many. They've got them from the Italian national team is the same. They've got, uh, you know, Benucci and Chiellini at the back and then all the rest are from different players. Uh, from I think that's got to do with modern day football as well because, you know, you're allowed an unlimited amount of foreigners um, and, and the big clubs do go for the big players. So the younger, brighter players coming through in England have to go elsewhere. So Declan Rice... He's a Chelsea youngster from the academy. He had to go elsewhere to get game time. So that's why he's not, you know, at a Chelsea or whatever else. Jude Bellingham, and you go, you know, you you can go on, uh, Jordan Sancho. um, You know, they had to move away to go get game time. So that's probably why. But they've got some depth of young players coming through and it only can be bright mm. for them and probably in five, six years time you'll be saying they've got five Liverpool players, they've got five Man United players, they've got five uh, Manchester City players because they go buy all these <laughs> best young players coming through but um, it will help them, there's no doubt about it but they just seem like a tight-knit group anyway, they don't seem like there's any real egos at the moment. I think that's a lot to do with what Gareth Southgate does but I also think it's their captain. Mm. Harry Kane's very humble down to earth. He just wants to win. I'm not saying the others in the past didn't, but it always seemed like there could have been friction in there. Doesn't look like there's any friction there. And if it's not Kane, it will be Jordan Henderson putting them into position, you would you would yeah. tend to think. So the personalities and the characters in the dressing room um, are of a different dynamic to what it used to be. But I don't think it's a similar theme to what we saw with the Netherlands today with Frank de Boer, where you look at that team and it doesn't have a, a Robin-type character, a big Van Persie-type character. Um, and looking at all the, the, the things that the players are saying, it seems like a humble, united team that's singing from the same page, not disrupting things or anything like that might make a big difference when you're trying to get together at the international at the international level. Now, speaking of the heat that we've spoken about this morning and speaking about uh, all that type of stuff over in England, we're just going to do a quick health check because our man over at Wembley today, Ollie Gill. Um, Ollie, we've seen your scenes on the behind-the-scenes at Sport. We've seen you through the coverage overnight. We've been seeing you chaperoning Mark Schwartz everywhere. Just checking in that you're all good after the day out. Yeah, that's great. No. All is well. Uh, look, to be honest, it was the hottest day in England all year. I mean, I say that, 27 degrees, but it was still quite warm. <laughs> it was great to be in the thick of it. Honestly, I absolutely loved it. And I, I've got to say, I'm going to give you a bit of an exclusive here, guys. Um, you know, obviously the game was fantastic. Afterwards, we got to see a bit of a live band for the first time in about 12 months. So that was fantastic. But the highlight was seeing uh, Mark uh, Schwartz, of course, lining up for his accreditation. But he got there about an hour late. So he was right at the back of the queue, which I thought was was pretty funny. But then, of course, about 10 people behind him was Rio Ferdinand. And he went, oh, this is pretty funny. But uh, then they came and got Rio and brought him in the back door to sort his accreditation out first. And unfortunately, Mark had to wait another hour and a half. So other than the game itself, uh, there were plenty of highlights around. And you spent the whole day reminding me of that too, I, I am sure. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the vibe? And then you mentioned watching a live band, seeing some crowds, like uh, yeah. the drinks were flowing with all the people watching. Um, does it feel like uh, life has returned a little bit uh, where you are now and the Euros is helping bring that spirit back? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm so happy with, with, you know, what's going on in Australia and, you know, for all of you guys, you know, for the most part living life sort of normally, but, you know, here in, in England, it's been, it's been a really difficult period. And, you know, I, I got the feeling arriving at Wembley this morning that it wasn't so much excitement. It, it was actually quite tense and people were very, very nervous. And then immediately after the final whistle, it was a completely different experience. It was like, great, monkey off the back. We can now almost enjoy the tournament. And, you know, we, we, we're actually, you know, not going to let that, you know, let the fans down. That, that's sort of how it felt. But it was an amazing experience. You know, it was my first game back with crowds. Uh, Twenty five thousand people, of course, led into Wembley, and you know, you almost were getting used to, you know, just being on your own, you know, with no one in the crowd. And then all of a sudden, you know, a bad decision, a substitution, a yellow card, and then of course Sterling's goal, and and everyone just erupts, and you, you you get out of your seat and you forgot where you are almost because you're so used to. Hearing, you know, a couple of you know claps from the staff and the physio and and things like that. So it was uh, it was a pretty amazing afternoon for everyone involved. Ollie Jake Rosengarten here from the uh, written team. Uh, firstly, loving your work over there. Um, I was uh, really <laughs> enjoyed seeing uh, uh, some of your interviews on uh, on the Brecky rap and stuff this morning. I, I just have to know: Are you sick of the song "It's Coming Home" yet? <laughs> it's so funny you should be saying that because as I was looking at my WhatsApp waiting for you to call, I was literally singing in my head. It is, it, I don't know what it is. It just burrows into your head. You just cannot get rid of it. Uh, they love that song. They played it in the warm-up. They played it after the game. They played, the band played it. Uh, I can say, safely say I'm very sick of it. So thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> well, speaking of which, I love asking people over, over in England, over your way, what the expectations are. Is it angst? Did today make it a little bit more real? Um, what was the vibe? Yeah, as I said, absolutely very tense in the, the week, really. The, the build-up was, was really tense. And then, of course, the scenes with Christian Eriksen has you know such a, a huge connection to, to English football. It felt eerie. I, I think is probably, you know, that, that's a pretty safe way to describe it. But then, honestly, I cannot describe to you how amazing it was at what, what time the game finished. It would have been 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. The sun is still out and shining, and everyone is singing and hugging. And, look, I mean, sure, but, you know... I'm sure the government weren't too happy, but masks were forgotten about and there was lots of hugging and singing and it was it was pretty brilliant. So the expectation now is is to go on. And, you know, talking to a lot of people around Wembley Way, they, they seem to think that, you know, if, if they get knocked out in the semis by, say, France, Southgate keeps his job, you can sort of, you know, keep your head up high. But then anything other than that, and it's really disappointing campaign. So that's where we're at right now here in England. We've gone from tense and eerie to exciting, and now it's full steam ahead for the rest of the tournament. Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, before we let you go, the question that we everyone wants to know that we have to ask you, because you are the esteemed host of the Two Sharp Reds podcast. So as you were lining up and getting ready for the day and then enjoying some drinks afterwards, in the searing 27-degree heat, how about the excuses for a 27-degree heat, by the way? But in that searing temperature, was Mark Schwartz uh, sipping on the Vinos uh, watching the game or, or something else? Dave, I can neither confirm nor deny at this stage. Uh, I'll have to refer back to my lawyer on that front, but we definitely had a beer afterwards. That's all I'm going to say. He okay? wouldn't have had a beer. I'll refer he, to my lawyer had, and I'll get back to you. He wouldn't have had vino, not in that heat. And and you know what I can say? 27 degrees in London is hot. It's like 40 yes. degrees in Adelaide. It is stinking hot. And, and I know the players would have suffered. 
Oh, absolutely. And then you add in, of course, the, the broadcast lights, you know, pitch side as well. That definitely didn't help. And you're spot on. Yeah, there's something about you don't get that beautiful co- coastal breeze, you know, coming off semaphore like you do in Adelaide. It's just stuffy. <laughs> it is warm. Uh, but I'll tell you what, if you haven't listened to the Two Shark Reds, Mark's got a fantastic uh, life hack uh, since he spends a lot of time in Spain. And apparently what they do is they, what, number one, I didn't know this, but they keep their red wine in the fridge, which goes against everything you, you know about red wine. But then they mix it with a lemon Fanta. And yeah. it's like this sort of yeah, that, weird kind of... He's buying cheap wine <laughs> because the good wine they don't keep in the fridge and the good wine they definitely <laughs> don't put Fanta <laughs> in there. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Oh dear, Ollie, that's good stuff. Great, great to hear from you. And you'll be up and about every day. Where are you off to tomorrow? Yeah, so tomorrow we're going to try and hunt down either an Irish pub or I don't know if Scottish pubs exist in England. It's going to be very interesting to see, but we're going to track down some Scottish fans. I think it's going to be absolutely pumping tomorrow yeah. uh, in the centre of London. So, yeah, we're going to be keeping our eye out for that because I dare say the Scottish, they know and have a good time down here in London. So that's what we're going to be looking out for tomorrow. And you will find them. Thanks for your time, mate, today. Have a good night, and uh, yeah, we'll chat to you soon. Good stuff, guys. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So last word on the game, guys. Uh, England happy, Croatia, their prospects? Yeah, Croatia have to do better, obviously, because they uh, – but look, again, they're playing at Wembley. They're playing against a very good English side. I don't think they should lose their confidence too much, and it's only one goal. So that might hold them in good stead in terms of going through the group because, remember, you, you have to – you can if you finish third and you've got a, a good goal average and enough points, you can get through. And so for them, I, I still think they'll get through this group stage. Not going to be easy, of course, but they should be good enough. I would like to see Modric, though, play a little bit deeper than he did in the first half. Yeah, he half. was quite far forward. Yeah, I, I thought that he wasn't involved as much as he should have been. I thought in, in the second half when they were pushing, when they, they took Brozovic off, Modric started to drop a bit deeper. They started to dominate a little bit more and, and create a little bit more. So I would like to see him do that, even though he can get forward you know, there's no problem with that. But he started very high. It was hard for him to get in the mm. ball in good areas. We'll see what happens there. That was the entree, the very sizable entree, Jake, to the rest of the day. We're going to skip forward to what we just witnessed now that we're still digesting, which was fabulous fare. Somehow nil all at halftime between the Dutch and Ukraine, but it finishes 3-2. You've penned a fantastic match analysis that's on the Optusport app right now. What was your appraisal of the game? Firstly, just what a game. I mean, it's hard to really know where to start. I mean, five goals... A stellar comeback. And Andrew Yamalenko with what could potentially be a goal of the tournament. I mean, just an absolute stunner rocketed into the top corner. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think there was a lot of doubt about the Dutch coming into this tournament, uh, about the way that they were going to play under De Boer. I mean, obviously, there was so much consternation about his formation choice, playing three at the back, a 3-5-2, uh, that the fans literally flew a banner over their training <laughs> session, begging them to play 4-3-3. Um, but we saw the positives in that approach in that in, in the first half and also in the two goals uh, to Jeannie Wijnaldum and, and Vat Veghorst. Um, and we saw that 
the wingbacks get just incredibly high and um, Denzel Dumfries playing such a such a big role, but just just incredible. But then obviously we saw them exposed as well, Johnny. Yeah, look, I actually think that uh, it's a little bit unfair to say about systems. I, I, I don't agree with, you know, because I know the Dutch system um, – did start off with a 3-4-3. Three, three. Mm. You know, the, the, the Johan Cruyff used to play a three mm. at the back a lot. The, you know, the, a lot of Dutch coaches do that. It's not like it, it's a 4-3-3 three, three and that's all we can play. They are able to, to change their their formations, their systems and whatever else. And it did work because Dumfries was the main person today. He was the one that set up the first goal. He's the one that scored the last goal. He had two of the best chances in the first half. So I think that he got it right. And look, defensively, they didn't do a lot wrong. You know, you have to give credit to the Ukraine. Their movement up top, and I thought they were sensational on the break, especially. And the Dutch, you know, are missing the lick, are missing Van Dyke. Um, I know Van Dyke won't be there, but uh, so you, you know, give credit. And I think the Dutch, they could have and they should have made it more comfortable. In the end, they had to sweat for it, but it was a good performance. And it was also, you talk about, I love what you said about the formations, I mean, it can be a bit of a furphy. If Dutch fans want to see good, fluid-flowing football with attacking intent, Dumfries as the so-called fifth, you know, one of the five defenders in inverted commas, but it was clearly a three with three at the back with the advancing uh, wing-backs. I thought it summed up the fact that they had this attacking intent, and, and if that's the template, we're going to be in for a wild ride watching the Dutch through the tournament. If he was one angle of it, I think Vinaldum was as well. It was fascinating to see the role he played because he just had almost a license to to get as far forward as he liked. So Vinaldum this morning reminded me of Vinaldum a couple of years ago when they won the Champions League, and uh, and he was very impressive in his forward runs, the, the the runs that he was making late into the box. I remember being there uh, against Barcelona when he scored that header, and that's what he was doing today. He was able to get forward because you had the young that can start the play. You have to remember this year they had a lot of injuries at Liverpool when they haven't had to play virtually everywhere in that midfield and so he, I think his biggest strength is actually getting into the box and he had about three or four shots at goal um, he did well to get to the uh, the position that he got into for the goal and it was a great finish and um, and I, I actually really liked that and, and you could see that he led the team mm. you know being the captain but he led them and uh, and they didn't buckle when they went to 2-2 they showed great character and you have to then give credit to Vinaldum because he's their leader. Absolutely, Johnny. I mean, you talk about Vinaldum's role at Liverpool, obviously in complete contrast at the moment. I mean, people would maybe remember back at Newcastle, he played a more advanced role and scored a lot more goals, certainly, than he did at Liverpool. But my question to you is, obviously, Gini Vinaldum has just signed for PSG on a free transfer. If you're Maurizio Pochettino, what role are you playing him in? You'd play him, in, and I call it a number eight position. That's, that's that sort of box-to-box player. He's the one that can, you know, he can still start the build up a little bit, but he's the one that's also getting to the edge of the box or into the box, making those late runs, and and it depends also who you have up front. But um, he he's very smart in finding space. He's very good at finding, uh, you know, sort of those late runs that Timmy used to make into the box. Very similar, I'm not saying they're similar players, mm-hmm. but just having a knack to know yeah. where the ball is going to go because that that goal that he scored, the first goal, he took a game to get there you know he was sprinting as soon as the ball went out wide and Dumfries was getting the crossing he was sprinting there mm. he, he probably knew he wasn't going to get that first ball but anything that gets knocked out he's in a good position to go finish it off and that's where he that's what he did really well and uh, I thought that um, he was outstanding De Jong again 
He, he was he was started well. He yeah, started well. Yeah, the puppet he, master pulling the strings. Oh, he just yeah, he doesn't lose a ball, does he? You know, just the way he's able to dictate that midfield. And uh, you know, Darun was good. I I actually think that the majority of their players did well. I, I I can't really say yes, they conceded that goal. Um, but you have to say that's world class. You know, from Yamelenko, and then the Yamachuk's goal was you know. Yes, maybe they could have defended that better, but it's a set piece. So that's that's an easy sort of fix. Mm. Other than that, I thought the second half, the Ukraine weren't in the game at all. The Dutch really dominated and, you know, they'll be happy with that performance. The ball will be a relieved man because there was a lot of doubts about not only his system, but they weren't getting good results. Um, but we saw a free-flowing Dutch side that, you know, I think that they would have shut up a lot of the, the doubters, especially in Holland. I just want to say, Johnny, back on Vinaldum on the flip side and looking at Memphis Depay as well, who these guys who, they're huge players for the Dutch at this tournament specifically, and this could really be a moment for them to sort of stamp their mark on the tournament. On Vinaldum, if he continues playing like he did this morning, have Liverpool made a mistake letting him leave? I don't think Liverpool wanted to let him leave. I, I think Liverpool were probably caught in a situation they probably couldn't offer him what he wanted. Um, because, you, you know, whenever Klopp spoke about him, you know, Klopp, he raved on about him, you know, the, what he's done for the club, the, what type of player he was, what type of person he was. Um, so I don't think they really wanted to let him leave. But in the end, you know, it, it ended up happening that way. And, you know, you just these things happen in football. You Sometimes you can't keep hold of every single player. It'd be interesting. They need to get through this group, the Dutch. Uh, that was almost half the pressure on Frank de Boer was he had literally zero wriggle room. They had to do well out of this group, but a good start. And look, you can see with Shevchenko how this nation, this this Ukraine side have developed over the years. They are a good team, as we said on the show, Johnny. They're not, we're not saying they're going to go into the semifinals, but they are good enough to to cause a few issues, get through the group, cause a few issues in those early knockout stages with quality and character there. So, and a very funny stat, so Shevchenko is Ukrainian football. Today was the first time someone has scored at the Euros that is not the manager. So that was pretty formidable stuff there. And I actually look forward to watching them. I thought that particularly the first 15 minutes before the Dutch dominated, end-to-end both sides were absolutely thrilling so it was a fantastic game contributed by both sides now earlier in the night in group d it was a historic 3-1 win for austria but this is a historic game jake in so many levels for the austrians for the north macedonians for goran pandev there was a lot to pick out of this game one 3-1 by austria absolutely dave i mean north macedonia are really a, a great story coming into this tournament i mean it's their debut at a major tournament and goran pandev himself the captain 37 year old stalwart obviously won the champions league with inter milan under jose Mourinho. and i mean i actually was speaking to um daniel georgievsky who's born in sydney and and represented uh represented them at international level um and he was basically saying that anything from now is a bonus and to have a moment where your captain your icon your national legend scores. can we call him the macedonian marvel I think we can, Johnny. I'm going I'm to give you that one. Um, 7,312 days, by the way, after his international debut, he plays and scores at a major tournament. That is, that he, he is an icon. He is an icon. And that moment itself is, is worth its weight in gold. They'll, they'll happily play the, pay the price to, uh, to get over there just, to, just, just for that moment alone. Yeah, and look, I thought they were good. I thought it was a very even game. I thought the only difference was when Austria made their changes. The, the Alaba? Yes. Yeah. Alaba started centrally in the back three, and then he moved over to the left of the back three, and that allowed him to go forward a little bit more. And you saw in the second goal, he got the cross in, and he ended up scoring. But also the changes that uh, you know Gregoric uh, comes in and scores, and then you, and you know he spoke about this. it was a massive opportunity for him. And then the, uh, the, the third goal, Arnautovic. Yes. 
I'm I'm now starting to feel tired. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> these are na- and these are names as well. These I'm, are names we're spitting I'm, out. I'm, I'm starting to feel tired, Dave. But uh, you know, th- th- I thought their subs made a big difference. Whereas North Macedonia probably haven't got the depth that the Austrians had. It's it's lovely to see. Like I know that the Euros has expanded, so that real cutthroat level of the groups that we maybe had ten years ago isn't there. But you do get these moments, and I know yesterday we probably focused as we absolutely had to on the Denmark side of the Denmark Finland game. But for Finland, it was a it was a, an amazing moment for them, an historic moment for Austria today. Regardless, as you said, for North Macedonia, an historic moment. And I referenced yesterday, John. I talked about it being Finland's Kaiserslautern moment, so to speak, which we didn't get to celebrate, and they probably didn't get to celebrate because of the context around it. But talk us through the emotions these kind of occasions have because this is an anniversary for us the last couple of days it's 15 15 years since yeah, the Japan game it's incredible what is going it? on there but these three teams it's, it's a nice moment to reflect on um, what this means what international football means for the populations that support it you know it's um, it means everything because it's something that you know it's a game that we love we got passionate about with uh, growing up supporting and seeing these tournaments being played. So, you know, growing up in North Macedonia, the, the, I'm sure Pandev would have been dreaming of one day representing his country and playing in the Euros or in a World Cup. And finally, at 37 years old, he's able to do that. And and just the lead-up with it, it would be, you, you're just excited. You, 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 just, you, you just can't wait for that first game to go. It, it's, not, it's not even nerves. It's like, just get me out there. Mm. I, I, I want to play. I can't wait. I want to be on the world stage. I want to show the world what we can do, not only myself, but as a country, what we can do. And then on the way, on the way to the stadium, the bus in, and you see that the supporters are just as excited as you are so that gives you another lift and you saw in Romania there was a lot of North Macedonian supporters so there's a lot of Macedonian uh, Macedonians there so you, you you can sense that the, for the players it would have been the same you know Austria would have been the same because you know they hadn't won mm-hmm. at, a, at a Euro before so again that was similar to probably what we experienced over in Kaiserslautern and uh, you know it, it's uh, and Finland the same you know the, I know that was a tough day for them yesterday but they'll look back and they'll be going you know we've finally won at a major event and uh speaking of you personally johnny 15 years down the track how often do people come up to you on the street and still talk about that moment not so much the japan game because people forget about you bring that, that one up instead <laughs> <laughs> but actually but is it it's, it's you sometimes say that that japan goal is actually Almost. Do you say that's actually your favourite yeah, goal? Yeah, that, that's, well, it's probably when people go, what moment did you love the most in terms of between the Uruguay moment and also the Japan moment? And I, I say the Japan moment for me was more fulfilling because it was we're all there at the World Cup. It wasn't to get there. We were there and, and it was on the world stage. And, and when you go to these tournaments, you know that everyone, not only in that country, but virtually whoever follows world football or follows football stops and watch that, watches that game. So, you know, I don't know how many people around the world would have watched us against Uruguay for the qualifiers. You know, I don't think there would have been many other than, you know, the Australians and the Uruguayans. Whereas when you're at a World Cup or you're at a Euro, the world stops to watch it. And that's where you know that, it, you know, it, it's you're on the biggest stage of all and, and that's a different feeling altogether. And plus it was a dream to mm. play at a World Cup. 15 years. Does, it doesn't dilute it, does it? it still feel, does it still feel, when you think about it, does it still give you chills? Oh, no, it's not like I think about, you know. Well, when we bring it oh. up or when you see it, you know, we walk past, when you walk past the off-sports screens and we're playing it for the 15th time in the... 
you know what? It, it's a, it, it's a past memory. I was so like lucky to be involved in it uh, in that team. I was so lucky to have played the game in general. But you, you, you know, life moves on, and you, mm. you don't really reminisce that much until someone brings it up. But uh, you know, we're I, guilty I, of it. <laughs> just wishes we'd stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> But it do like you think about Kuram Pandev and what it must mean, and and I guess the significance of the weight, the weight, not not the weight of the burden, the weight to get to that moment, and and I guess if there's, there's any alignment to what we experience as a nation, what you experience, waiting to come on that day against Japan, um, I, I guess it's a really nice synergy there. Yeah, yeah. Now there, it would be. You know, I can just imagine what he's actually feeling. Um, that they would have been a bit disappointed after because they lost. Mm. But uh, for someone like Pandev, that would have been a dream, a dream to represent his country at a major tournament. And he finally did. And uh, it was just uh, great that he was the one that actually scored the goal. Because don't forget, he uh, he retired from the national team a few mm. years back. And Angeloski actually brought him back in. The first call he made, the first visit he made was, Pandev, I need you because with you, we could get and make uh, make a major tournament, and uh, and he actually gave him the belief, and 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 that's what happened. And look, they they will be excited that they're there, disappointed that they lost, but I'll tell you what, they yeah, they actually played well, and and I'm sure that the next game there, it's not going to be so easy for the Ukraine. Yeah, it's uh, it won't be the last bit of romance or the last story t- storyline we we get during the tournament, and that's why I absolutely love it. So the good news is it doesn't stop because we'll be back again tonight. Scotland against the Czech Republic, as we see the rest of England's group play out there. Poland against Slovakia, and Spain against Sweden is our big game at five a.m. tomorrow morning that we'll be back for. Because I know what I know what you're going to reference, John, because I know you you you're counting down the minutes and the seconds. You want us to let you guys are going to get ready for Spain versus Sweden. But Jake, I'll ask you about um, Scotland and Czech Republic because you spoke in depth to Scott McDonald about uh, Lyndon Dykes. You spoke about uh, Scotland's prospects. Are you excited for this game and, 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 and where they sit in this group? Tell us what you think about where their prospects lie. Absolutely, Dave. Very excited. I mean, I think people sort of have underestimated the amount of quality within this squad. Uh, Scotland have suddenly all of these players at huge clubs. They've got Andy Robertson, who's obviously at Liverpool. They've got Kieran Tierney at Arsenal. They've got Scott McTominay at Man United. Uh, Billy Gilmore at Chelsea. I mean, it's all happening for Scottish football. And I mean, you've got, you got the Aussie up top to celebrate it. So it's, it's all happening. And I actually think that they could, they could spring a shock in this group. When you think about the way that Steve Clark likes to play football and sort of he's obviously come through under the Jose Mourinho school of things, likes to play spoiler a bit, as Scotty Mack put it mm. during the week to me. Um, and I think... There is a potential that, that Scotland could really surprise a lot of people at this tournament. Yeah, I think they could play the party pooper. It's definitely, I, I can see that. Particularly with England, what an incentive. Well, particularly at home at Hamden against the Czech Republic. Czech Republic aren't coming in great form. They uh, they lost their last friendly 4-0. Um, so you'd you think that it's not going to be um, you know that easy for them. They've, they've still got a good side and, and good players. But I, I, I agree with you. I think this is a, a talented Scotland squad. Um, very similar to the, the, the Scottish sides that we used to watch in the 80s, you know, that, that had all those talented players that playing at the highest level like Kenny Dugleish and Graham Souness and Gordon Strachan that were at the top clubs. And, uh, and, and they've got that fighting spirit because they are, you know, the smaller nation in, in Great Britain. So, you know, they're, they're, they're not as big as uh, England and, and everyone thinks England are going to win the, the Euro. So they'll want to prove them wrong and, and actually prove that they can actually beat them. And I'm looking forward to this one, but I'm <laughs> very much looking forward to the one where they play down at Wembley against England because Gary McAllister, 
I used to sit next to him uh, in the change room at Coventry, and he used to receive so many letters. Uh, back then, they used to uh, fan mail, fan mail, fan mail, and um, and half the time he used to, he will show me. He goes, "Look at this," and it would be like abuse after abuse after abuse and I go why are you getting abuse why are you so hated in Scotland he said because he missed the penalty in the 96 euro against England and um, and he said and he's one of the best penalty takers I've ever seen and in if you watch the penalty in slow motion as he's about to hit it the ball moves a little bit and he, and he actually misses it and Seaman saves it. But he was hated in Scotland for years and years and years because of that penalty miss. So it means so much to the Scottish to get one over England. And so there's so much riding on that the, game, the pressure, and, the, and, and it's just amazing how, how much it means to them all. The burden on that is absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, Poland, Poland, Slovakia, Spain, Sweden, particularly with what Spain have gone through with their uh, COVID chaos, uh, training in bubbles, having le- first left back can't train with the left, right, other left back just in case they, you know, one of them's needed. Crazy situation. This group is quite up for grabs. It is. It's a difficult first up game for Spain for many reasons. For First of all, Sweden are a good side. Um, they, they played the same system for years. Um, they know each other back to front in terms of what they need to do to when they're on the football pitch. They're a hard team to break down. It's normally a 4-4-2 and uh, um, and they got some really good talented players. So, uh, and Spain because they haven't been able to train as a group for for virtually a week, and and so it, it's it's you know it's not as easy. Even though Spain are playing at home in Seville, I think it's going to be a tough one. And Spain usually struggle at the moment to break down teams mm. that sit deep and I expect Sweden to do that um, this group might be three games that are quite similar yeah that's right and uh, and so you know the, the, the Spanish side's a, a pretty young side and, and relatively inexperienced when you look at you know Paul Torres playing at the back and uh, you know you, you look at uh, Rodri uh, you know hasn't really played a major tournament he's going to have to step up now and play because Busquets has mm. been out with uh, COVID I don't know when he's going to be able to play or get back into it um, and then you've got Pedri and you've got all these young players that uh, uh, that are coming on the scene. Danny Olmo is, is bursting on the scene. They've got a lot of talent, but, you know, is it this tournament probably a little bit early for them? Uh, but uh, the only positive and thing that they've got really going for them is Luis Enrique knows how to handle yeah. these situations. And he's already come out not complaining about the situation, not uh, putting doubts into his players' minds. He's actually giving them confidence. We'll be fine. We know what we're doing. Yet the situation is what it is, but we'll get through it and uh, we can't control it and, and, and we'll be ready for the first game. Yep, so much to look forward to there in that group. Hard to pick, but we can't, I'm looking forward to seeing Spain. I'm looking forward to seeing which 11 he picks because there's a few options in there. Will we see Pedri? Will he give him? Will he unleash him in that, in that midfield? Tiago Alcantara as well so lots to look forward to tomorrow and as we speak of course you've had uh, our other Optusport journalist Nick Stoll on the show the last couple of days he's been busy tapping out some words on Brazil v Venezuela they won 3-0 there 10am on Friday morning is Colombia Ecuador which will probably happen by the time you listen to this podcast but if you do listen before Friday 7am after all your Euros action Argentina against Chile Friday we're Monday 
We are cooked. It is time. <laughs> it is done. What day is it today? Monday. Yes. So it's, it's on Tuesday. Where is this day? Fun? Do you know it's why? That, that, that is really funny because like on the Champions League, it's like Wednesday, Thursday, yeah, and yeah. I'm thinking this is coming up on Friday. Yeah, yeah. So we we are in all sorts. It's day three of thirty one. <laughs> Good night. We're done. That's the end of the podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. John, Jake, thanks so much for your time. Great stuff, Jake, today. John, great stuff as always, and thank you for coming through with us through your delirium. And we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Need to get some sleep now, Jake. Go, go. go You're on, out. Johnny, off to bed, mate. <laughs> You're out. Everyone out there, I hope you enjoyed that show. I hope you're enjoying our daily coverage our, our, on, on the broadcast, digital, audio, written, however you consume it. We're having a great time bringing it to you. And until tomorrow's edition of The Gagan Pod, enjoy your football. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.